This is the Ruminant Podcast. I'm Jordan Marr. You know, there, there's not a lot of nuance in a lot of people's um, ideas about organic. So, so to some people, you know, organic equals sustainable. And, you know, that's something we tried to get across in this paper is that that's, you know, that's not the case. In fact, there are few, if any, farming systems that we have right now that are actually what we would call truly sustainable. Hi, folks. It's Jordan. On February 3rd, 2016, the journal Nature Plants published a review article entitled Organic Agriculture in the 21st Century. It's by John P. Reganold and Jonathan M. Wachter. The paper was a meta-analysis of previous studies that compared organic farming systems with conventional ones on key indicators of sustainability. It concluded that organic systems incorporate a better balance of the various indicators, which probably won't come as a shock to very many people. But the paper did contain some surprises and interesting insights. That organic systems fare as bad or worse on certain environmental indicators like greenhouse gas emissions, for example. The authors also cite and discuss a number of barriers to the expansion of organic farming. What interested me most, though, was that the authors argue that organic systems can't alone be relied upon to feed the planet, and that's something that a lot of organic farming advocates insist can be done. I really wanted to talk to these guys about their paper, so I contacted them, and one of the paper's authors, Jonathan Wachter, agreed to talk to me. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I think you will too. So here it is. But hey, one more thing. We talk about a graphic in the paper that is kind of hard to describe over audio. I do I do an all right job, but um, you may want to go to theruminant.ca, find the show notes for this episode, and check out the graphic before you listen. Uh, or don't. It, it shouldn't make too much of a difference, but now you know. Okay, talk to you later. Jonathan Wachter, thanks a lot for joining me on the Ruminant Podcast. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. So I, I, I guess um, I guess if it's I think this is fair enough to say that, that you've co-written a paper that reviews the literature on the relative performance of organic versus conventional agriculture, and so if I'm right about that, uh, perhaps you could explain what you and John set out to do and what your methodology was with this paper. Well, we've we've gotten to the point where we've there's been a lot of of research on organic. Uh, farming systems, and we thought it was about time that that we that we try to pull everything together into one place. Uh, and specifically, our goal was to examine uh, the performance of organic agriculture in the context of of what we call the four four areas of sustainability. And so, those four areas that we talk about are um, productivity. So a, f- a farm has to be productive uh, to be sustainable. Um, environmental uh, performance, so it's got to be, you know, got to be uh, good for the environment. Economics, so it's got to be profitable to be sustainable. And then finally, um, socially sustainable. Um, and so we we essentially set out to um, to look at look at as much research uh, as we could from the past. Uh, 40 years, really, um, and and interpret that research taken together in those four areas. We better we better just clarify how you defined organic for this study. Um, could you could you talk about that? You know, in general, um, the studies that we examined were dealing with uh, certi- They tended to be certified organic farms, um, and so that. 
you know, but but on the other hand, organic, you know, is not limited to certified organic systems. And so, for the sake of this paper, we we were looking at studies that specifically looked at what they called organic systems. So, so if if it was defined as organic in those studies, then then we were able to look at them. There, you know, there are plenty of uh, plenty of studies that are done on systems that might resemble organic very closely but are not technically called organic and those were not included in the study. Okay, so so you've looked at a bunch of meta-analyses and as you've just said, you've 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 considered all of them um, in terms of productivity, environmental impact, economic viability and social well-being. I'd like to at least briefly delve into each one of of those four topics. Um, but, but first I want to jump to something in your paper, just a, just a chart or uh, an image that, that I thought was, um, was really interesting. I mean, you're, 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 you're evaluating or comparing conventional egg with, with organic egg, um, uh, on these, on these four indicators of sustainability. You kind of represent the comparative, uh, sustainability of conventional versus organic, Sort of as um, looking straight down, uh, uh, like at the at the petals of a of a flower head. Hi, folks. Jordan cutting in in post production editing. I want to try and describe a graphic that is contained in the paper that we're going to be talking about. It's a really cool graphic. You can actually see it if you go to the ruminant.ca and find the show notes for this episode. But here goes. You're looking at two different flowers, each with 12 petals. One flower represents conventional agriculture and one flower represents organic. Each petal on each flower represents a different indicator of sustainability. So for example, one petal represents yield, another nutritional quality, another employment of workers, another profitability, and so on. The length of the petal represents in a comparative sense how well the organic or the conventional system does for that indicator. The longer the petal, the better it does for that indicator. So therefore, the ideal flower is one that has long petals that are all of a similar size. But of course, in our graph, we see some petals are short and some petals are long, depending on how they do for each indicator. Okay, that's probably all you need so that you understand the following conversation. Um, so, so it's a great way to, to, to look at the, uh, graphically at the results of your findings. Um, just because the organic flower tends to be a lot more symmetrical. Most of the petals are, are longer and of, the, of a similar size, whereas the flower for conventional, um, the petals are very uneven. I'm just wondering though how, it makes me wonder how you gave weight to the different studies and, and um, ultimately how you decided how long those petals should be in this graphic. Um, absolutely. So. Um, I guess you touched on on something that we were trying to trying to reflect with this, and I think you said it nicely. I guess the metaphor or the or the the idea that we really focus on in this paper is the idea of balancing these areas of sustainability. And so, if I if I could just take a sec to to say that, you know, um, clearly conventional conventional farming has has yielded, you know. Uh, tremendous amounts of food over the years, you know, and and there's no doubt that it's been um, uh, it's been really great in in areas of you know sometimes in profitability and yield, um, but then that often has come at a cost of you know soil quality, um, you know energy use, uh, you know exposure to pesticides and things like that, and so 
that's that's exactly the idea we've been trying to get across is this idea of balance and how important um, balance. The biggest challenge with making this figure, because it is qualitative and, and conceptual in nature, the biggest challenge wasn't so much the length of the petals relative to one another, but rather what we struggled with was was how do we how do we reflect you know the performance of of you know agriculture uh relative to its maximum potential so for example you know the the outer the the maximum length of a flower petal you know in theory that's that's sort of its maximum potential so for conventional yield you know we decided conventional is yielding really well but it's not yielding as much as it possibly could. And so we couldn't have that petal be 100% because there is still to grow. And so that was actually, that was the biggest challenge is, is, you know, in a, in a more absolute sense, how do we, how do these things perform? Not relative to one another, but in general, you know, how, how much more do we think conventional, you know, ag has, has potential to yield and yeah. Okay, so so Jonathan, I've been belaboring our discussion about this graph, which is in in some ways a fool's errand to do over audio, and I hope one way or the other <laughs> listeners can get a look at this graphic. Um, but the reason I am is because what it's when you look at it, it's it's striking because of the the fullness of the flower that that represents organic, which reflects that it's got a much better balance of all the various sustainability indicators, which overall suggests just a more sustainable system but you and john acknowledge in your paper that at least you 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 would you briefly address the fact that for a lot of people it doesn't matter that yield is king and that um so i'm just wondering i guess how would i put this but i guess i'll just keep it simple does it does it matter when when for practical purposes and a lot of policy purposes it just seems like yield is is the only thing anyone's is the thing that people are so much more obsessed with. Um, yeah, well, it certainly is, is what most people um, focus on, but, you know, we're, we're getting, we're getting to a point where we can no longer ignore um, the broader impacts of agriculture, uh, whether that's through the loss, you know, the erosion of soil, the loss of soil, organic matter, the use of energy, um, you know, the use of, of other non-renewable resources, um, loss of, of nutrients into waterways and into the dead zones of, of, you know, of the ocean. And we've got to start accounting for these other impacts. And, and you know, someday, hopefully soon, uh, that will be, uh, these other factors will, will be given more weight. <clears throat> Well, Jonathan, I'd like to return to some of the broader implications of your paper in just a minute or a few minutes, I guess. But I would like to briefly uh, spend some time on on some of these these uh, these specific categories that you've analyzed. Um, you know, I, I, there's not I don't think there's much to say about yield. I think most people are aware that that most studies indicate that um, under normal conditions, conventional agriculture tends to outperform organics with regard to yield. One thing I'm I'm really interested in knowing, though, is I, I imagine some studies when they compare yields are comparing yield per square foot, but not like like yield of a crop in a bed in a conventional system versus a crop in a bed in an organic system without factoring in that once you consider that a lot of organic systems fallow 
amount, a lot more, like maybe even up to double the space. Um, that 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 brings the overall yields in organics down. And, and did you were you able to address it in your comparisons? I mean, when you when you provide numbers, and I'm I'm only I'm only kind of uh, I'm being very general, but you were talking about numbers um, uh, of five to twenty five percent better in conventional systems across different crops. Is that is that taking into account fallowed land in the organic system, or did, were you just relying on on this on this on what the studies that you were studying? Uh, Considered. Yeah, so we uh, we had to rely on on the on the assumptions that that all of these uh, review and meta analysis papers um, made. Uh, a few of them uh, did did try to correct for those um, for those overall rotational yields, but not all of them. Okay, so so I'd like to move over to. Um to environmental impact and and that and the series of indicators you studied under under uh, under that category, um, and I, I just uh, I, again I think most people who have thought a little bit about agriculture and are familiar with it wouldn't be surprised uh, to 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 see in your study that that organic tended to perform a lot better on issues of soil quality and uh, soil carbon and minimalization of erosion and um, the production of a lot less pesticide residues and herbicide residues and things like that. Um, what surprised me was that um, organic doesn't tend to do, if, and please tell me if I'm wrong, but doesn't tend to do uh, much better or, or in some cases does worse when you consider like greenhouse gas emissions and water use and, and a, a few indicators like that. Do, do I have that right? Let's see. As the greenhouse gas question is absolutely um, there's there doesn't seem to be a really def, really definitive difference, and that you know partially is is due to just how incredibly diverse these farming systems are. So some studies have found, for example, with greenhouse gas emissions, um, if you reflect uh, greenhouse gas emissions per unit of land area per hectare. Um, and organic systems tend to look better, whereas if you reflect um, greenhouse gas emissions per unit of yield, then because of the the lower yielding organic systems then then organic actually does worse uh, than than the average conventional farm and the same the same goes uh, goes for leaching of of nitrates. Um, so a few studies have found if you if you look at the numbers per hectare, then organic looks better. But if it if it's per unit of production, then uh, conventional looks better. And that that I was going to bring that one up too, Jonathan, because that's that's pretty fascinating. And I think that's one where organic farmers tend, I think, to be a little blind to the the the, the leaching that happens in organic systems. I think yeah. we like to think that we perform way better, that leaching is, is much yeah. reduced because we're not using, um, you know, soluble fertilizers. But, but even with the organic amendments and fertilizers that we're using, we still can, can produce and, 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 and compost and manures and things like that. We, we can sp- still be very guilty of, 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 of that kind of leaching. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I, you know, I think this, Kind of more more broadly speaking, a lot of a lot of people, um, uh, you know, there, there's not a lot of nuance in a lot of people's um, ideas about organic. So, so to some people, you know, organic 
equals sustainable. And, you know, that's something we tried to get across in this paper is that that's, you know, that's not the case. In fact, there are few, if any, farming systems that we have right now that are actually what we would call truly sustainable. And so, so absolutely, it's easy to, it's easy to, um, for people to forget that there are significant environmental impacts from, from organic farms too. And I think I think on that last point, the same can be said going over to another one of the categories you looked at, which is social sustainability. Organic still, you know, still has a ways to go on on some indicators with, within that category, does it not? Um, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And and that's an area again that that I think uh, the research field really needs to look at a little bit more closely. Um, you know, we've all across the world we're we're seeing. You know, we're seeing the erosion of of rural communities, and a lot of that goes, you know, goes hand in hand with with changing technology, changing farming systems, and you know, we we have to we have to really think hard about what what our farming systems means mean for the farmer, but also for the for those communities around those farms. Um, that's that's really important. And, and we need to we need to get a little more clarity on that. Uh, Jonathan, I want to I want to spend um, I want to jump over to economics now, and and specifically you you may you 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 spend some time talking about externalities uh, in 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 farming. So so if I could if I could try and provide a definition of externalities for those who don't know it. Um, these are costs associated in this case with agriculture that are not borne by uh, the farmer that ultimately have to be paid by the collective, all of us. Um, uh, so, so for example, the cost of cleaning up, you know, leached nitrates and, and phosphates that end up in our waterways tend to be regarded as an externality. And um, I just, I would, I would love for you to, to talk a little bit about what you found about externalities and, and how that affects the overall equ- equation of comparing organic to conventional. So I, I guess I would add to that definition of externalities that, that often the cost, the, usually the cost is not realized or, or I guess the whole reason it's called an externality is that the value is external to what what the market value for for whatever goods um, we're talking about um and so it can it can be it can be a positive externality in the sense that um, you know let's say well the the production of 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 certain types of food you know it brings it brings that those goods to people and so that's a positive externality or a positive externality as far as the the quality of that food Um, but it also provides things like ecosystem services you know growing that crop may have put carbon into the ground and so it pulled carbon out of the atmosphere and and so those sorts of externalities might be positive but then like you said um, there's the issue of maybe if that growing that crop polluted and then downstream, you know, having high levels of nitrogen or phosphorus, then then that would be a negative externality. Um, so the challenge here is that externalities are not valued, and so it's, um, and in fact, that's a that's a huge a huge field of, of debate right now is, you know, how how do you value externalities fairly, and 
you know, should we should we even be trying to value these externalities? And so, in that sense, it becomes, um, you know, a little bit a little bit hard to really quantify differences uh, because there's no established method for um, for valuing these things. There was uh, especially one pretty well known study um, that attempted to do this in the UK. They were attaching values to these external externalities of agriculture, and they found um, that if in the UK a switch to organic production um, would basically reduce external costs of agriculture by 75%. And, you know, the, of course, you have to make a lot of assumptions for those sorts of numbers, but it's an interesting, you know, interesting way to frame the question. And when you start trying to answer that question, it, it appears that organic starts to look even, perform even better in these comparisons to conventional agriculture. Do I have that right? Um, yeah. So if, if, if you were to give a monetary value to these externalities, be, so if, let's say, if you, if you gave value to environmental externalities, um, then because the overall performance of, of organic farms in an environmental context tends to be uh, greater than, than conventional, then if those were given values, then organic would start to look even better. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I'd like to broaden out the conversation again, Jonathan, but I, I want to make sure that, that I want to, I want to just one more time summarize your, your paper and make sure that, that I don't misrepresent that. Uh, um, but essentially um, your paper has demonstrated that if you, if you, if you broaden out beyond just yield and you, you consider other factors of, of sustainability. So not just productivity, but environmental impacts and economic viability and social well-being, organic tends to, based on the meta-analyses that you've analyzed, um, tends to tends to outperform conventional agriculture. So, have I got is that is that a fair description of your of your conclusion? Um, yeah, or I guess I guess rather than the word outperform, I would say tends to balance these these areas. Um, okay, so so better. so you know what does that say about about organics? the future of organic farming's role in the overall food system? Yeah, well, that's a good question. So we, you know, we, we begin the paper by, by, by showing the, you know, the, the tremendous growth in organic sales and organic land area over the last 15 years or so. Um, and it really has, has expanded quite a bit, but we're still uh, looking globally at roughly 1% of, of uh, land of farmland is organic, um, and you know through through all these comparisons, uh, we we essentially um, conclude that you know you know there there is plenty of room to to expand organic production uh, and hopefully make an impact in some of these you know um, in increasing the performance of some of these. Some of these sustainability areas in doing so, um, but a key—I'd say—a key, I'd say a key um, conclusion that we make, you know, is that while while there is plenty of room for the expansion of organic agriculture, and, and based on our findings, I think there would be there would be some benefits of that. Absolutely. Um, while that's the case, uh, 
you know, organic agriculture is not is not a silver bullet, and just like conventional agriculture isn't a silver bullet, uh, you know, what's needed is is really a, a diversity of farming practices um, to address these huge challenges that we have. Right, and I'm I'm uh, I'd like to pick up on that point uh, in 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 a couple of minutes, but um, I, I given that you and John are essentially cautiously recommending that that certainly an argument can be made for for some expansion and encouragement of organic agriculture. Um, part of your paper near the end turns towards some of the barriers that exist um, to doing so. So I, I wouldn't mind talking a little bit about that. And um, you, you mentioned a, a number of issues, powerful vested interests in the food system, uh, uh, market power, subsidies, uh, existing policies, lack of research. There's so much we could talk about. Um, I thought maybe we could start by touching on subsidies. I think as, as just a regular organic farmer, and but someone who, who likes to participate in conversations about food security and the food system, it's subsidies are kind of like this abstract thing, Jonathan. We, we, you often hear them uh, cited as, as, as reasons why better forms of farming aren't, aren't succeeding with expansion. Did you get, but it's, it, it remains very abstract and I actually myself don't have a strong grasp of just what effect those subsidies have. Do you feel like you have a, a good sense of, of the effect of subsidies having done this study? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad, glad you brought that up because absolutely this, this vague idea of subsidies is, yeah, is often villainized and, and people talk about it abstractly as being the cause of, of all of these problems. Um, and so in this paper, unfortunately, because the focus was on the science, we couldn't delve in depth into, into you know, policies. Um, but I will say, you know, the, the overall effect um, let's say in the United States, we, you know, we, in the latest farm bill, we, we stopped the direct payment, um, uh, form of subsidies, um, in favor of, of more of a subsidized insurance, um, program. But, uh, but still what, what these sorts of policies have, have tended to favor is in a way the, the status quo, if I can say that, um, so even today, as far as insurance, insurance subsidized insurance uh, programs, you know, farmers farmers who are who are doing sort of what what have what has been done for you know for the last thirty years uh, tend to be favored as far as as insurance. And for a long time, it was really hard for an organic farmer to to be to be insured. Let's say. Right now, under the you know in the past year or two, um, the form of the subsidy would be uh, you know a subsidized insurance um, program by which it's it's much easier if you are growing a you know a very standard rotation of corn and soy that it would it's it's much easier to to get into that program of of a subsidized insurance. Whereas if you're doing anything, uh, you know, let's say you've got a long, diverse rotation as an organic farmer, um, it's quite a bit harder to, you know, to get into those programs. 
I see. That's that's a good example. Again, you mentioned it earlier with the insurance companies. I mean, the insurance companies trade in predictability and certainty, and anything out of the exactly. norm is just going to make them a little more they're risk averse, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And and if it's not, you know, let's say it's not, uh, if it hasn't been done, then of course there will be a lot of red flags on the part of the insurance companies. Um, you know, whether they want to deal with that at all. So that's. You know, I'm not saying it's impossible to to be insured, but it it's a it's a major barrier, and it's much more difficult if you can't just point to all your neighbors and say, you know, they're doing it too, or we've done this for you know for 30 years. Yeah. So so another another um, barrier that you mentioned in the paper is the lack of um, speci- research specifically for organic production and or or lack of uh, of, of variety and breed uh, programs for organic varieties and breeds that. Uh, of livestock that thrive in organic systems. And was, I just, I'm just curious, is that, is that the kind of thing when you were looking into that, is that, is it striking the difference between research dollars spent in the conventional ag context versus organic context? Um, Yes, absolutely. That's um, to me, that's one of, one of the most meaningful barriers that we talk about. Um, Unfortunately, I don't, uh, it's hard. It would be very hard to give any, any, you know, dollar values to, to just how many, how many, you know, resources went in, have gone into um, conventional research compared to organic, but it's, yeah, it's, it's a huge disparity um, there. Um, And, and you brought up, you brought up breeding. And I think that's a, that's a really important example of this. Um, So there have been some studies that have found that, that, um, uh, well, one study in particular looking at wheat, uh, the, the, the best performing wheat variety for a conventional farm, uh, when it was used in a, in an organic context, it was no longer the best performing variety. And that, you know, that suggests that, um, that just how important it is to breed for the specific conditions of an organic uh, of an organic system. And that sort of breeding has, you know, there's been just a, a minuscule uh, amount of, of resources put towards that compared to what's put towards conventional breeding programs. Something that, that you know, some people point to is just just how how kind of amazing it is that organic farms are performing as well as they are, given that disparity in research and development funding. I guess, I guess, uh, sticking with you know the major conclusions of your paper, um, a, a point you make that I think is really important is that is that you know we're, we perhaps, and I'm using my words, but it, it seems like we limit ourselves when we when we talk about this topic in binary terms, conventional versus organic, and you do make reference in your paper to the need to consider hybrid systems. You know, since there are aspects of conventional that tend to be a little more towards unequivocally negative, like pesticide residues. You know, if we're gonna we're gonna throw out the bath some of the bathwater, but what's where's the baby in, in conventional? What 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 would we be keeping in trying to create hybrid models? You know, this I think has to be taken with a grain of salt. But um, the you know the use the strategic use of of herbicides to to limit how much tillage you know has to happen. So a lot of organic systems rely very heavily on tillage for weed control, which in in some cases is 
is probably not not the best idea. And if if certain herbicides were available in that toolkit, uh, I think they could they could be used effectively to to maximize you know soil quality, for example. So that's that's one minor example of of how we might how we might use tools from organic and from from conventional to to really focus on outcome rather than labels. So um, what about what I wanted to ask specifically, though, if you have a sense in your research about about synthetic fertilizers, like I think it is it's it's easy to identify, you know, the need to to try to reduce the harmful effects of things like herbicides and pesticides. But, um, you know, I don't have the exact statistic, but I do have a sense that like research has shown that roughly a third of the food we eat can be attributable to to the Haber-Bosch process, to synthetic fertilizers, essentially. And I'm just, I'm wondering if you were looking at, at I don't know, if you've given thought or, 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 or some of the studies you looked at were, were, were making any kind of argument for many of the, of the approaches of organic while still um, making room for the use of, of synthetics to go along with all of the soil, uh, the soil conservation practices of organic. Yeah, um, synthetic fertilizer production. There's, you know, there's no doubt that has been responsible for for this huge increase in in food production worldwide. Um, and and there are there are lots of people who say, you know, if you're if you scale up organic farming, uh, you know, to to too large a scale, then suddenly you are going to be limited by nitrogen. Uh, and that we can't we can't fix you know biologically fix enough nitrogen using legumes to to be able to maintain this sort of of productivity um, and so that you know it becomes this sort of abstract question of 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 scale but I think the 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 key question here is not you know whether you're whether you're strictly using synthetic fertilizer or or non synthetic fertilizer. Um, but the key is really that we we have we have a lot of losses. Our farms, you know, our farm and food systems are very leaky um, as far as as far as nitrogen. And, and there there are there are lots of ways that we can work on on tightening that system and and, and preventing those leaks, if you will. And that's an area that you know I completely agree. Rather than maybe focusing entirely on whether you use synthetic fertilizer or not, you know, the, what counts is, is, um, you know, what's happening to it and, and how, how efficiently our crops are, are, are taking them up. Right. <clears throat> well, Jonathan, I would like to finish, uh, the conversation by getting a little bit, a bit meta and talk to you more about the experience of, of publishing a paper like this. Uh, in terms of its effects on the, the, the cultural conversation, I guess. Um, I'm sure you would agree with me that, that this, 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 this topic is a very uh, contentious one. It's fairly politicized, organic versus conventional agriculture. And I just, I have to imagine that you probably anticipated at least a little bit of, um, and I guess this is a problem for all scientists and researchers with their work, but once you release it into the public, um, your your own measured conclusions can quickly get twisted. I guess I know that's common, and I'm I'm just wondering if you've 
if you thought about that in terms of how you released your paper and how you worded it and whether you are seeing examples of that once now that this is out in the public i guess i'd like to just just start by saying this whole conversation tends to tends to sort of devolve into a very black and white organic versus conventional conversation and um, you know that was never never our intention uh, with this paper, and I you know I think it's it's that's not a very productive uh, way of of thinking about it. And we tried what we tried to get across is that is that rather than being opposed to one another, they you know they do they offer tools you know that that we need to use to achieve the outcomes we're we're trying to get at. Um, and so as far as the as far as the sort of reception of this paper in the media um i mean that that tends to be the focus you know there are there are those who say you know this study you know they say this study proves proves that organic is better you know in a very generic way and and then there are those that say you know that this is that this is demonizing conventional ag um and so unfortunately the you know, I think the maybe the subtlety is is usually lost maybe uh, when it when it gets interpreted by people because you know there's a lot of um, people are coming at it with a lot of you know either ideology or or a lot of of sort of interests. Um, so we did we we expected that something like this would would you know cause a reaction from from all sides and it. It definitely has. I'm looking at a, and I'm on a, an, a listserv of organic farmers, and I pulled up. I, I just before our conversation, I went to try, and I was sure your article would have been promoted in an email right around when it was released. And sure enough, I found uh, an email in on the listserv with the subject heading "Organic Farming Key to Global Food Security," and then just a link, <laughs> nothing else. And um, I guess that's not even a really egregious example, but it is already in an example like that, getting away from, from your conclusions, which are a little bit more measured. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, uh, by that example, you know, we never, we never claim that, that it is key to global food security. Um, it's just, yeah, it's easy, easy for those things to get spun. Absolutely. Jonathan, last, last question. It's not really related to your paper. It's just reflecting all the work that you, all the time you spent studying these issues. As an organic farmer, I often get asked by people, why is organic food more, so much more expensive? And paradoxically to them, I think I, I'm not the greatest person to answer that question because I haven't seen the other side, the other, the other type of agriculture. If someone asked you at a dinner party, you know, Jonathan, why is organic food so much more expensive? How would you answer that in about 30 to 40 seconds? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, so in a, in a theoretical sense, I'd say um, the justification for, for higher prices is that farmers, you know, organic farmers tend to, tend to be going out of their way um, to do things like build their soil health, um, or you know, try to try to try to maintain sort of higher standards as far as environment or um, or uh, well-being. And so, in that way, you know, people use that to justify organic premiums. Um, but then there's also just just the market reality of 
you know, if if uh, you know food sellers see that they can charge a higher price because demand is there, then you know, then in a in a free market they'll charge more. And so, uh, to me, it's this constant sort of battle between the two because and there's no doubt that that organic foods are are probably in some cases priced much higher than they really have to be just because they you know they can get those prices i think that's great very succinct uh and i i think there's a <coughs> that's really key it's it's, it's a little um, more uncomfortable for me to explain i i think it's it's easy for someone like me to really emphasize well extra labor on an organic farm um, or, you know, or, and various other production factors. But when it comes down to it, there's, there's your, your study shows there's, there's a premium and, and really there's not so much that's wrong with that. Farmers are business and business people too. And, and they're, they're going to seek often to maximize their profits, I guess. Yeah. And it, and it's not always, it's not always just, just the farmer either. You know, when you, when you get into broader food distribution, you know, the price gets marked up by you know whatever distributor sees sees the opportunity too. So it's you know, you know, typical economics. You know, it'll it'll match what demand is is out there. Uh, but then, yeah, there is there is the important reality that that you know, higher labor requirements. You know, more more focus, more energy put into building soils. Uh, those things take time, labor, and, um, you know, maybe they should be compensated for. Jonathan Walker, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Well, thanks for having me. I had fun. All right. So there you go, folks. I hope you enjoyed that. And I just want to finish with another reminder that we're kind of into this new format for the show. This week was a longer form conversation uh, about a broader topic. So that means that next week we're going to zoom in and focus on kind of practical skills and considerations for farming. So uh, I've got some cool stuff lined up for you next week. And then uh, the week after that, we'll be back to a broader, broader topic in the form of a long form conversation. Okay, that's all. Thanks for listening and talk to you soon. To make our final escape, all we'll need is each other a hundred dollars. And maybe a roll of duct tape And we'll run right outside of the city's reaches We'll live off chestnut spring water and peaches We'll owe nothing to this world of thieves And live life like it was meant to be trying to bleed us dry we could be happy with life in the country with salt on our skin and the dirt on our hands i've been doing a lot of thinking some real 
soul searching And here's my final resolve I don't need a big old house or some fancy car To keep my love going strong So we'll run right out into the wilds and graces We'll keep close quarters with gentle faces And live next door to the birds and the bees And live life like it was meant to be